Thank you for listening to the Calgary Business Podcast. As host, I continue to learn about the initiatives from small business owners, students, student founders, educators, edtech founders, civic officials, nonprofit executives, healthcare executives, technology experts, technology startup founders, and even oil and gas tech startups. These individuals have shared their stories in person during the pre-COVID period and remotely throughout the COVID and the quasi-COVID opening periods. Out of 86 podcasts recorded and released so far in 2021, I had the privilege of learning about the important support network of Woods Homes from clinical coordinator David Williamson during episode 309. As I learned, Woods Homes provides treatment and support for children, youth, and families with mental health needs, a service that has become increasingly important during the COVID pandemic. Take the time to consider learning more about and possibly donating to Woods Homes and their many programs, including the Albo Springs Counseling Service. Once again, thanks for listening to the Calgary Business Podcast. I invite you to subscribe to the podcast from whatever app you access your podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and even Amazon Music. I also invite you to leave a review. This will allow others to easily find the Calgary Business Podcast. Have a great day and stay safe. Good morning, Zach Jeffrey. Good morning. How are you? Terrific. So, look, let's clear the air here. Is it Jeffrey? Is it JP? Is it Jeff? <laughs> uh, well, most of the people in the investment community call me JP, and uh, uh, but I'm happy with Jeffrey. Whatever works best for you. Jeffrey Potvin, welcome to Calgary Business Podcast. Thank you for having. It's my pleasure. This this is episode to open the. Uh, to open the dialogue, open people network. This is uh, episode number 226 and you're in Toronto, but I think your work, and I'm just going to say the preface is your, your work is, it goes across Canada, across the globe. So I don't think you have to be a Calgary resident uh, to be on this podcast. Well, I appreciate that. And uh, I, I would love to say that I'm uh, a big fan of Calgary. So does that still count me in? Um, well, it depends if you're a Flames fan or a Toronto Maple Leafs fan or a Raptors fan. I mean, you know, it depends. I'm a Raptors fan, so that's across Canada. That I'm helps. Not, yeah, that, we the fan. North. We the North. We support you. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. No, I'm not a Leaf fan, unfortunately. Uh, I couldn't buy into that one for uh, for a long time. So I'm uh, I'm an Islanders fan, but uh, we're it's still close. It's close to. Well, the I, oh, wait. So is your last name any relation to uh, Todd fan? The it is in a way. My my um, my grandmother used to tell us that we were related to Dennis Poppin. When I was yeah. a kid, I was totally enthralled by Dennis Poppin, the hockey player, when I was a kid. So I, I actually wrote him a fan letter when I was a kid nice. to tell him how great I thought he was. But um, that's about as the extent of it. I never got to meet him. but the, And Felix Poppin was uh, – there was a few NHL players, Mark yeah. and a few others that played uh, in the NHL, which we were all fans of. But – I uh, never got to meet any of them, so but I'm sure somewhere along the line there's some family connection. So there's no okay, so there's no declaration, but that link to the Islanders started as a kid, and you're you became a Long Island or the Islanders fan early on because of the last name. You think? Uh, it was because of that. My older brother 
And my yeah. old brother had shared the story that my, as I mentioned, my grandmother was uh, telling us that we were related. So we just had this tie in and maybe it was last name was a big part of it too, but uh, that's where it all started. So we were kids, all of us as kids grew up as being honor fans. Well, it didn't hurt that they won like, you know, three or three in a, two or three in a row back in the seventies. So or four. four, four in a row. Yeah. They were the first dynasty created in sports for one of the first. So they're a classic. They're a classic. Mike Boss, you know. The, I mean, look, we're talking business here. Sorry, Jeff. Sorry, Jeff. <laughs> no, this is good. So look, I introduce yourself and, and the Open People Network. And because, you know, I, I have lots, a lot of questions around that. And, you know, I, I've been following you for a while. So I, I literally, I think it's in time that my uh, one or two listeners got to hear it from you. No, I love it. That's great. And, and I'm glad to be here. And uh, I've heard uh, a couple of your uh, your interviews. And I think at the end of the day, it's uh, it's great what you're doing. And I'm glad that uh, you're supporting the community. And I, I see I love the breakdown that you provide on LinkedIn with your uh, um, synopsis of multiple companies and what they're yeah. doing in the space. I think it's Thank brilliant. You. And I'm glad that you're doing it. Well, it's a lot of fun. I mean, like I get to meet, this is literally to, to tell the listeners out there are two people that, you know, the reason I even you and I are in this call is because I stumbled upon you from one of my past podcast guests. And so, you know, I've, I've been following you. I've been, I've been almost religious fan of the, of the uh, open people Islanders or no way OPN network, but literally <laughs> since October. So, and, it, and I didn't have my grandma telling me about you. So. Oh, that's awesome. Well, I appreciate it. So, look, what what got you started? I think it goes back. There's a there's a couple links there. I look in your LinkedIn profile. What got you started? Maybe you can share that. For sure. Uh, well, it's actually a, an interesting, lengthy story, I guess, if you if you will. From we got time. We have all day, Jeff. I love it. I love it. Well, I, I guess the best way to to share it was that uh, I worked at Loblaws um, yeah. back in uh, two thousand and uh, two thousand and one. And wow. uh, was actually, um, I started on my own. I was doing my own thing, just entrepreneurship and working with, uh, with small businesses, doing some coding and things like that. And then I took a job at Loblaws and I uh, worked in their warehouse so I could get in. So it was actually during, uh, um, I guess it would have been, yeah, 2001. I started working and I went in from the warehouse. I took a job in, inside of Loblaws in their uh, support third level support, uh, doing French and min and uh, all that great stuff. And right. I started working on servers, doing all this backend stuff. And I started doing a lot of research. And before that, I was also doing a lot of research online. So I was doing investments online through the stock brokers. That was kind of becoming a big thing. Sure. I did a lot of research around early stage companies. And because I was so fanatical about early stage companies, that as I grew in Loblaws, I put a lot of hours in, I worked a lot. And um, the great thing that came out of this was that I switched over from being a tech developer uh, in yeah. the groups. I switched over to the business side because I built the back ends for a lot of uh, these e-commerce platforms at the time, which was photolab.ca, flower yeah. markets, and gift card. So I had built some of these back ends and they said, why don't you come over and run the business side? And uh, the reason they had asked me to come over and build it was that um, their, the business section or the marketing team came to the tech development team and said, hey, we need your support. We need your help to build out this site. 
And what I. But this is incredible because this. So this is part of Loblaws. There was a section within Loblaws you were helping out the back end. Correct. Yeah. So Loblaws have their own internal teams, but it was a different section. So these online teams, which were relatively new, they came yeah. to the development uh, section. And we were 500 develop, uh, development team, like IT. Wow. And they came and said, hey, can you just build this, design that? So they had come to do this. And um, <laughs> it's kind of funny, but the product manager for online came and asked me to do it. And then I went back to him with a business plan and I said, here's your products. And this is what I would do to them. And he was looking at me like, Hey man, you're my developer, not my business manager. What are you doing? <laughs> and I said, well, you're underutilizing what you can do here. Um, and that was kind of the start of it all. And the reason that became the start is because they, eventually I started to connect with a lot of startups and a lot of businesses outside of Loblaws. Sure. And I moved over to the business side because once they realized that I should be running these businesses, the manager had left. They brought me in and I became the manager for all of their online e-commerce platform properties. And um, that, that's just incredible because look, let's put it in context. I mean, Internet was kind of nascent. And here you are. You know, Toby, it reminds me now I'm listening to you speak, Jeffrey, Jeff and JP. It reminds me of Toby Lucky that he was just recently on a podcast with with Reed Hoffman. And literally, he said, I had a problem. I figured out this problem. And then suddenly, he, Shopify came up. This is ah, nice. really have that. Yeah, sorry. Very cool. Kind of no, that's, that's, I can't believe it. Yeah, so, we, we, um, so I moved over to this division. And uh, I worked a lot. I was a big fan of it. I, I wanted to learn. And you know, I, I always say there's three things that I want to do in a business or I wanted to do in anything. And I always share this with people in sales or anything they do is you got to get three things out of it. Either you're going to learn a lot, you're going to meet a lot of people, or you're going to make a lot of money. And you got to pick the <laughs> order that those are going to fall in. And my yeah. order was always learn, meet, money. Money was always last to me because I always felt that one day someone would pay me as long as I learned enough or that I met enough people. So I focused on those. And when I moved over to the other category, to this category side where I was running and operating these businesses, because I worked a lot of hours, nobody really knew what I did because online was new. Yeah, so the front end admin people would receive phone calls from startups and, people <laughs> and all they did was they saw me working and walking around. So they just assumed that it must have to come to me because I was some online guy. So I would take hundreds of calls from startups all over the world at Loblaws. Crazy. And I didn't even know why I was doing this, but I would field every call this yeah. was on top of my job. I had a team of, I think, I don't know, four to eight people at, at any given time. And uh, I would take every call and I would meet with them. And if I thought there was enough value in their business, not just for my business line, but for other lines of business, I would work with them to re-engineer their pitch um, and I'd get them ready. And then I would do is I spent a lot of time networking, not per se meeting people, but figuring out all the hierarchy and law laws. And then I put them on an email list. And I would email all of these people on a regular basis information about things that were going on in the market. So if it was in flowers or confectionery or whatever, I would get yeah, yeah. information because they were all VPs. They didn't even know who I was, but because I worked internally, they just accepted it. So <laughs> but the, you're like, I'm thinking, because this is early, like IT guys were always fix the wire, you know, get the hook me up, get the, the, the standard load set. And here you're running around creating like a real a real machine, internal machine for Lobos. Yeah, it was a, it was a lot of fun. And, and what I got from that was that I started introducing startups to these VPs and then they would be yeah. meeting going, 
why are you here and who the hell are they? And I'd be like, in my head, I'd be like, <laughs> you got to meet these guys. They're rock stars. We're going to change your business. Oh, I would man. Pitch them through. And I helped them with the yeah. pitch deck. So I did that for a bunch of years. And, um, you know, and, and then we could almost take one step back only because I love telling this story. But yeah, I, I, there was one thing that I, I needed to figure out how to draw people into me. So when I worked, started working at Loblaws, um, uh, because I'm predominantly introverted and I don't want to go to people, I want them to come to me. So I had to come up with a funnel, a mechanism. So yeah. what I did was I had gone out to different events. And this event that I went to was um, uh, Dragon Boat Racing. And I had met a girl there and we, I guess, became uh, good friends throughout time and, and throughout this event. And she was sure. conventionary, convection, so which was food products. Yep. So she would send me products and I got this idea that I could start my own little candy store in the back in IT in the, in the secure section. This would be <laughs> my way to get people to come in and see me and I could learn more about what they did. And then I could prop them on all the stuff I was working on. So wow. she would send me boxes of candy bars, bags of chips, you name it. And literally yeah. my office was stacked with these. And I would trade chocolate bars and potato chips for servers. So then all the IT guys would give me stuff in order for my candy bars and my food. So it ended up becoming this little uh, convenience store. But the only currency was junk food for product. So this. Yeah, but you worked. You worked for Loblaws. I mean, that, you could have just gone to the front of the store. I mean, was there was a different with different confectionery, or she was a supplier to Loblaws as well? No, she was the she ran confectionery for Loblaws. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So she was bringing you samples. And yeah, stuff. I would just get samples and give them away. But I have a lot of samples, <laughs> so it worked out quite well. So I got to work my way around, meet people. That was my way of doing it. So from that, as I grew inside of Loblaws and got into different departments and got to meet people. I learned what everybody was doing, but on the other side, that allowed me for when startups came, I just figured yeah. out how I could pitch these guys in. So I helped a lot of startups get into Loblaws. Again, why I was doing this at the time, I didn't really uh, focus on it or understand it, but I had this real knack for startups. So, But this is like the serendipity, the serendipity of the whole, I mean, that's your garage. That's your HP's, you know, the Hewlett Packard guys, that's your garage. It was a, happened to be a storeroom with servers. 100%. And I didn't even know why I was doing it, but I felt comfortable and it was easy. So I loved it. So, you know, fast forward, I went to a startup, Caboose. I worked there for eight months. I uh, helped them launch a business. They poached me from Loblaws. And then I, I went into, uh, I backpacked through Asia for three months. And I came back yeah. and decided um, through a couple of dis, uh, coincidences, um, I decided I didn't want to take a corporate job that I was going to start my own company. So I started a software company and we built uh, with my mentor from Loblaws, my first mentor, Ben, right. uh, we started a, a division of developers in the Philippines. And uh, so when I was in my three month backpacking tour through Asia, I met him in the Philippines and uh, we, we kicked off our first hire by sitting at Starbucks. And uh, I bet him that you know, four out of five people sitting in Starbucks back in 2007 or six, uh, yeah. that they would be developers and not business people. He took me up on the bet. They were all developers. <laughs> and then that's because the internet was terrible everywhere else, but Starbucks. Was sure. So we made, made some hires and we started our arm in, in the Philippines of developers. And then that's where we started Hardboot. So, uh, it, so that was, so that was your first company. Hardboot. Correct. Yeah. And then, 
what happened to what happened to Caboose? Because that sounds like a fun at the back of the tree. Yeah, so Caboose, I worked there for eight months. Uh, we launched yeah. uh, Caboose.com, which was um, basically Facebook for moms. And uh, they built onto that after. But for about eight months, I was there, helped them launch it and a few other products. And uh, uh, they packaged me out. And that's why I backpacked through Asia. They were uh, just uh, moving fast. And it wasn't about collecting uh, people and, and business. It was about moving the business as fast as you could yeah. get where it needed. Well, that's a time. Because if you take 2006, I mean, the iPhone wasn't, didn't exist yet. And I, you know, I mean, I think literally the next year, I think 2007, 2008, 2007, 2008, the iPhone came Correct. out. So the hard, the hard boot, you were pretty much on that point, the cusp of the next wave of the internet. Yeah, and that's when, uh, that's when we started doing a lot of devs. So we worked for a lot of marketing agencies and helped them with that. And there was a this big disconnect for agencies that they didn't know how development works. So it was a good yeah. fit for the first few years. And then we decided that we were always the ones getting thrown under the bus because of lack of understanding. So we decided to go direct to customers. So that's where we started working with a lot of big branded customers, the Walmarts, the shoppers, you name them, all these big, big retailers. We were doing a lot of their, their work, the brick, you name it, a bunch of um, big names. And then uh, from there, we continued to build out uh, custom applications. And then we, we shifted into resourcing. But in that entire time, I continued to work with startups and help startups either from platform development or um, learning more about what they're doing and trying to help them get in front of uh, clients or making investments. So when I first started at Loblaws, I couldn't make investments. I obviously didn't have the um, cash flow at the time to invest. Uh, Obviously, it would have been nice. But what ended up happening is that as that transition occurred uh, over the uh, my time working and operating um, hard boot is that I continued to, uh, there was a point in time or maybe a year or two, I, I avoided startups because I found that they were just using us and run us through the ringer and wouldn't bring any payback or any value. So you mean in terms of getting them set up with a system, developing their website? Correct. Yeah. They just leave me holding the bag. They'd be like, you know, I decided I'm not going to go forward with this. And we would have spent, you know, four months building a platform and $30,000. And then they would leave high and dry and we would lose all our money and equity and value. So there was a point where there was a little um, uh, disconnect between how entrepreneurs were coming out of uh, the woodwork. But basically about, I'd say about 10 years ago, we really decided to make a real push back into the space. And because we had a lot of experience um, in my past with it, we started doing development projects and started making some investments. And then in about six years ago, five, six years ago, uh, a bunch of the companies that we had made investments in uh, started coming to us and saying, hey, we really could use your help. We need to uh, work with investors and hearing the same story and over and over. And after about a, a couple of months of it, I decided, well, we had invested in a, a space in a property downtown and we thought Is that downtown correct. yeah and we yeah. thought well maybe there's something we can do here so did a quick brainstorm in my head ran upstairs and uh flagged the owner and said hey why don't we run this event we'll call it uh pitch it to and we'll have companies come in they'll pitch in front of uh some advisors and get some money and we'll call it a day yeah and they love the idea it would draw attention to bring people into the facility and that's how OPN started. Uh, well, sorry, I should say that's how the pitch event series started. But OPN as a, a business in general started the year prior to all of that, uh, before we started the pitch series. 
And that was started because uh, a colleague had invited me onto a, a podcast. And um, at the end of the podcast, it was on time management. It was my first time being on a podcast. And <laughs> right. I was so excited after the podcast that I called him and asked him if I could use the same format that he just brought me into to run one podcast. Right. And this is like pre-Zoom, right? Because then, then it was just a... Yeah. A phone call. What, what what was the modem you used then? Well, the, the platform, it, it, I can't remember the name of it because it was literally, it was awesome. It was there for about a year. And yeah. it was, um, it allowed you to run, I think, seamlessly four or five people in video on the screen at one time. And you could, yeah. uh, if someone said something that you really love, you could hit share and it would take the last 60 seconds of what they said and then post it online, like through Twitter. So it was a really cool platform. So we decided we would start doing all of uh, these. We start doing interviews. So and the way we did it was exactly how I did it at Loblaws. So we would go to startups, we'd get startup founders and then we would get big business. So we'd have, say, three startup founders that were in a space and we would tie them into. As an example, we had Snoop Dogg's lawyer. Um, Pharma, a pharma company, pharmaceutical company that was yeah. doing uh, uh, in the weed space, and um, another gentleman that worked in the same area of um, getting into to weed. And we would we did a three way interview of these people. I ended up investing in that company as well because it was that cool. Um, and then, uh, uh, yeah, we do an, an hour interview, and we did all these different types of podcasts for the last you know three or four months. We started this off, and it was started. We started to really enjoy it, so we did. But you were just kind of, you were just kind of. It was like a jam session. Let's talk about your business. Exactly. Back to your and and work them into the big yeah. business. So get the big business to see these startups that they wouldn't have seen. And at the time, I was yeah. and throughout this whole time, I've always been um, a startup cheerleader, if you will. So I always felt that startups never got the due that they were deserved, and that they went out on the line to do all this stuff, but big business wouldn't really give them the time of day. So this was my way of kind of trying to tie big business and small business together. So that's where the interviews yeah. stem from. And we did a lot of stuff, which was, it was a lot of fun. And uh, it was all pushed by, at the time we had an HR lady that we hired and she was pushing me to stop being the guy in the background and start being the guy in the foreground. So she in the front, cause it probably made easier for her hiring. If they, if they knew Jeff, Jeffrey or Jeff, JP, where were you then? Were you JP then? No, no, no. You I was always do. Jeffrey, but uh, JP stemmed from my uh, uh, from the whole investment side of things because I short form my name on everything JP. So they just yeah. all call me JP because they saw that that's how it was. So um, I just uh, probably haven't picked it up as fast as I should have, but it's pretty common, I guess, to go by JP. But except for the LinkedIn handle, which is like the longest. You're like one of those people where they put 17 different acronyms behind their name. That was created by, sorry, the HRPR lady. She was the one that created that when she was getting us to get in and be and start being more vocal. So she said, no one runs a space. You need to be that. So after a few months of convincing, we started it. And that's where that all came from. But I, I think in, in that time, we, uh, we went from the podcast show to the live events. And uh, again, being one of the biggest cheerleader fans for startups, uh, we continued to operate and run our, our um, hard boot, and we went more into the enterprise resourcing. So we continue to do that today. So just going right after the bigs and giving them that enterprise like software made for purpose, fit for purpose. It sounds like it's fit for purpose because you were doing it in Loblaws, 
for different departments. Correct. So yeah, we continue to do that. And uh, better part of the last five years, uh, I've dedicated my team runs the hard boot side, and um, we cross. Oh, so hard boot is still going. 100 percent. Yeah, we still work with pharma banks, you name it. So we do a lot of uh, different builds and clients, um, and we, you know, over the better part of five years. I would say our team is cross-pollinated across the multiple businesses, but myself, I'm pretty much dedicated 100% to uh, OPN. And uh, through that, uh, the last five years, we've seen tens of thousands of startups and and uh, you know a couple hundred a month, and and we've really shifted and changed and grown into uh, really making sure that we could build a community, and that also yeah. because of individuals. Um, you know, really pushing us to to get in this space. And, you know, it's sometimes you got to listen to the voices outside uh, your head, I guess, if you will. And uh, those voices were kind of pulling me back to what I was doing in the past and I didn't realize it. So when I started OPN, I was like, why is this so easy and fun? Why do I know this space so well? And I had... Because you've been doing it. You are doing it in the back of the trailer. Exactly. I mean, that, that little stock room, I can just visualize. You've got server cables. Uh, Jeffrey, we need to clean up in aisle five. Uh, but literally, right? yeah. I can just visualize with all these snacks and uh, Frito-Lays or whatever. But let's go back. I want Because you touched on something, your early days with Hardboot and Toronto when you got your space. And when I was, a couple of years ago, I started looking at blockchain. And there was a, there was a the, everybody in Toronto, the network was talking about this cafe, this coders cafe somewhere in, on, I don't know, Bloor or wherever. Do you, are you familiar with that? Uh, there was a few of them that popped up over time. We actually looked at doing okay. one as well, and we uh, we never fully pulled the trigger on it, but we certainly looked at it. But yeah, there's uh, there's a lot of merit for collaboration, right? So, well, they sit around and it was open, kind of an open that did, just triggered when you were talking with that open people. But it's not a, it's not a big deal. But so I'm looking at your profile, and there were some other links. 2016, you had the same thing happening at OPN. You kind of launched. But then York Angel Investors, the Golden Angel or Triangle Angel Network, was there any coincidence that all those were opening at the same time? Yeah, so, so how that story worked out, and again, everything for me just happened to be uh, trial and push, I guess. But uh, So once we started um, OPN and we started running these uh, pitch events in the space at the lodge, um, I was, uh, and I, I don't remember exactly how the, the these came together, but uh, the city of Ajax, because I um, had li been living in Ajax, the city of Ajax yeah. had reached out and said, hey, we have an event coming up um, that we'd like you to attend. And I think it would be a really good fit. So uh, I'm not one to just jump into things. So I was driving home one night and I contemplated it. I drove past the event. <laughs> it was almost home. <laughs> and then I said, damn it. I'll find I'll go. So I convinced myself to turn around and drive the half hour back to go to this event. That's crazy. Yeah, because I probably should have just went, but I'm not, I guess, social enough to do that. But so I went and uh, while I was at the event, I tend to just listen as much as I can and take in. And when I get to a point where something bothers me so much, I have to speak. So uh, I jumped yeah. into a conversation about uh, they were trying to bring Startup Canada into Durham region and there was licensing fees and all this stuff. Um, and uh, I'm more of a data guy, so I wanted to pull the data to see, does the, is the startup community really that going in Ajax and would the Durham region and would they be interested inside of a community um, and th would this help them grow? Because there's a lot of uh, 
people and businesses that were already operating in startups in Durham and would there be something there? So uh, that got a conversation going. And at the end of the conversation, a few people were angel investors in the room. So they came up to me and started talking to me and asked me to come out to Spark Angels, which was an oh, yeah. angel group in Durham region. So I decided that uh, it sounded interesting and that I would do it. And because I had already been investing in startups at the time um, and been working with them, it seemed like a good natural fit. And in the past, I had worked with angel groups way back, but not to this extent. So that opened sure. the door. And uh, so I went to the event. Uh, I learned, saw the pitches. I learned what they were doing. So I went to a couple of them. And I realized that at the event, um, I guess the aha moment was that I found that at least 50% of these companies that were pitching to angel investors, that their pitches were terrible. They didn't understand their business modeling, know what they sure. were doing, and uh, they weren't getting investment. So this all tied in with the launch of our pitch event. So kind of all stemmed from the same roots. And uh, so that's where we started grooming and working with these companies. And we felt, man, we could really slot in between these tech stars and angel groups. And we could really help these guys better understand their modeling because one, we're investors and two, we've grown businesses. So this would be a good mix and we'll be able to help. And three, three, you've been working with startups for a long Correct. time. I mean, if I go back to your lob yeah. lines, right? That room, that little room in the back of the-, <laughs> the Exactly. So it became kind of a, a real easy fit. And uh, once we did that, it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. And, you know, the first event we ran, we had uh, four or five advisors that sat on a panel, four companies, three of them we had invested in or something to that effect. And, uh, you know, 60 people showed up and we did this in five days. So everybody said you should do this again. So we did and we started to build around it. But the difference was that we weren't doing this for money because it wasn't a paid function. We were doing this as a right. way to give back to help entrepreneurs grow and get into the space and raise funds. And, you know, long and behold, for four and a half years, five years later, almost 200 events. Um, we still uh, limit our um, what we charge in any capacity for startups, but we spend a lot of time helping them. And the reason we do this and the same reason when we started this, it wasn't so that we could find a way to make money off a startup. We did it because it was the best way to build a community around something that I had a huge passion for, which was startup. Yeah. And it was also a way to find the best deal flow so that we could invest in the best up and coming startups. And that was, um, you know, the, I guess, a new age, if you will, in the way we looked at it. And that's hasn't really changed much. But what has changed is that uh, the business has morphed into building products and, and a VC firm that we are now that, you know, we do things sure. objectively and, and we help a lot of companies worldwide. And we wanted to globalize this because we saw this problem not just being here, but globally. And uh, we've built on a lot of great partners from well, BMO to uh, uh, Miller Thompson. And they got behind us all the way and helped us create our fund. And, and a lot of yeah. investors have come in to see the vision, too, which has been great. And now we're, we're uh, you know, we want to be able to do more. So it's been uh, it's been an exciting journey. And, you know, who knew that uh, you can start a business and have one pay for the other until it got to a point where, um, it could be self-sufficient and, and one day we're going to get there, but I'll tell you that it's been an incredible uh, journey being able to not only work with, but support a lot of amazing people. Sure. And I, and I look back when you said, you know, you were just meeting those initial setups, uh, the initial uh, meetups, that was part of your, 
learning and so the meetup and as you said the money's going to come later and that's, exactly. you built something yep. that can scale but i, I want to touch on something because you you mentioned that you were kind of doing this and you were you know you had the hard boot and i'm sure some of those people funneled into there or eventually they would re, they made yep. aware of it but i was listening to reed hoffman this morning literally on a master of scale podcast and he was talking about um you know amazon started as amazon and in order to help their back end they they, they came up with aws and now you know AWS, and you probably heard, it's it's just it's correct. Massive. Yeah, it's in the market. And, yeah, you know, and and I think of you now, and I think of the work you do with Laura, and you're kind of you're an events management company. You know, I you know all that other networking stuff. You're learning, you've learning, and I just I wrote these notes here. You've got a broad application of how others can use a platform to do events on on scale. You've scaled your pitch it, the skip the line. I'm sorry, I'm giving you kudos here, but this is. You know your founders funding couch. These things are that's that back from your little whatever it was in your uh, warehouse room. I didn't know. Lead generation, yeah. It's you, funnel. You know you're this you're this events management dot company, by the way. Yeah, it, it was brought up that that's what we were, and just like not wanting to be in the in the front uh, preview of everything and want to always be in the background. It it made a big difference, and we I tell this to startups all the time that you know when you build a company you got to build a funnel, and and the funnel is the most important aspect of your business is how do you generate people to come to you and you know that's yeah. that's really what OPN was about is that we had to find a, a miss in the market and the miss in the market was that people were looking to raise funds but they wanted help and they they didn't want to be just a pitch and a pitch and a pitch and not get any value back they wanted someone to actually hold their hand a little bit and then get them along the way yeah. and you know we get people calling, emailing, texting all over the world, just looking for a little bit of information on, you know, how do I get a mentorship? Who should I talk to? And, and how should I create a funnel? And, you know, I, I look back at all my experiences in life and I realized that uh, a lot of the things I did in order to, to move forward was that I had to draw attention to me because I couldn't draw attention to my, I couldn't go to somebody else. So how do I draw attention? And, you yeah. know, maybe it's a hairdo or maybe it's a funky shirt. <laughs> um, and all of those seem prevalent because I do it, but, uh, and I don't even know I'm doing it. I realize that that's what I was doing, but it's subtle enough that it's not, um, loud, but it's enough that it will generate a conversation. And I think that's the key was that how do you can keep generating a conversation and in your business, a startup has to realize that they have to generate a conversation. You know, you've got Snapchats of the world where, you know, people didn't realize that there was a problem with people sharing photos or snapping a, a photo of sure. photos, so they created a problem that people realized, yeah, this is a problem, and I need to get behind this. Um, or there's a real problem where people know it is, and they search for it. But you got to find something that allows for your funnel to grow. And in our case, it was people were looking for funding, which everybody's looking for, but they're also looking for someone that can share genuine feedback and help them grow forward versus, nope, next, nope, next. Uh, that's not really helping anybody. And I think that's where we wanted to fit in and take the best and move them forward. You know, so I, that leads me to uh, really, uh, it's not a pivot or anything, but it's just really the reverse pitch and caught my attention. I think you posted it back in when you were on that uh, with Patrick Corey and you said uh, in reverse pitch. So that was literally you telling the story and that caught my attention because in today's the COVID world, you know, the VCs don't have, they themselves probably don't pitch enough. And I don't know what your view is on that, but because they don't, they can't do the conference. They can't go out to London or Toronto. You know, they can't fly out to do their, their own fundraising. Yep. I don't, 
that's kind of got that was my thought when I saw your revert when you used the words reverse for sure, hundred percent. And sometimes you need to do that, right? It's uh, how, how do you learn if you're not out learning, twisting, and changing things up? You know, entrepreneurs and and I, I I'm pretty sure it was uh, um, with Tesla did the same thing. It was you know if I'm not in the warehouse working it and hustling it, how can I find where I'm making faults or how can I find where's that I can improve? If I'm not in there doing that, yeah, and and that goes to that to reverse pitch, right? It's all part of that same um, same structure. You know that that funnel, because I I remember one of your points you said about this the venture capitalists and and you know the, there was this coveted space, and I remember because of the blockchain, and there was you know they were inviting us, but they wanted to pay to, to get access to their network, and I'm like, gosh, I mean the VCs are I can I could access VCs because I was in I was in Qatar. And in the Middle East, and it was really hard to get, you know, to talk to meet people virtually at that time, three, four years ago. And I remember, oh, no, come to our event and you can pay, pay a fee. And I'm like, wait, I don't know even know who's in your network because you won't share it. So, you know, paying money for something you have no idea, this this closed network. And um, anyway, I, I, not to belittle that, but I think that was something you and I talked a little bit offline. How do you get into that network and find out? what the VCs want. Yeah. And that's a, that's always going to be a tough one, right? Everybody has their own uh, criteria that they're looking for. And in the case of what we do yeah. at skip the line and what we do through OPN is we're kind of generalizing what the need everybody's looking for. And it, it's interesting that a lot of people are always looking to fill a void, like a gap that doesn't exist. So they want uniqueness and super changeable. Um, and sometimes I think that that fits in new markets, but new markets are tough to create and they're not always happening every day. So you kind of have to look yeah. at, can somebody be the brand, you know, and right now, one of the, one of the areas, and this has come up in a few conversations is kind of what's going to happen next in in the world of uh, weed. And, you know, there isn't really a brand that other people know about other than you have uh, tweed or um, like they're the <laughs> big, the big hitter, but that's because they took a, uh, $5 billion investment from uh, one of the, the big um, uh, Constellation brands. So that that's what kind of drove them to get this market capacity and drive the value up that they did. But really, at the end of the day, there isn't anybody that owns the space. Like there isn't somewhere that is synonymous with weed in Canada or eventually globally. So there's an opportunity for you to go into an oversaturated space and become the brand that people get behind. And that's the same thing that Flow Water did with their Tetra Pak, highest alkaline and pH water. They did the same thing. They said, you know, there's tons of bottled water in here. I'm not interested in coming to this space yeah. to invest. But they were able to come in and put a brand around something that didn't have a brand. The market wasn't branded. And they came in with a lifestyle brand that changed the landscape. So there are different ways that you have to look at investing and look at how you can go after something. And a lot of times people kind of forget that they always look at oh, I just need something that's super unique and different. That's all I'm going to invest in. Well, that's one type of investor. Then there's another type of investor, which is looking for people that can own a market because the market's already proven and somebody's going to come in and change that market. So, Well, and there was one of your, one of your I think one of your guests, and I don't know the name, but there was a, she had the, um, I think it was a plant-based oat milk or some kind of a yes. soy milk, whatever it was. And, you know, and I remember it was a, it was a skip the line one. And the reason it stuck out is like, you know, there's a lot of those kind of alternate, you know, non-milk dairy products. And, you know, the question, there were some questions from your VCs, 
but I think, wow, there's others of scale, like in Scandinavia or what, and I think I, I, I touched base with her offline, but it is to your point, if you get the branding, right, there's other alternatives on the market. It doesn't matter what your product is. And if you, if you can, you can distinguish yourself, get attention and there's qual- whatever it is, you know, whatever those met- metrics are that, exactly. that make it right. But if you just didn't say, yeah, there's already a product. Agreed. And, and that's, again, the, those are, everybody has a different need. And we're trying to learn that by doing all of our interview podcasts with Ask an Angel. We're interviewing angels. The whole concept was, I want to learn more about what the investors really want. I what the, the VCs, the VCs, right. I, I, there's, a, there's startup Edmonton uh, TNT. He's got a podcast. It was a reverse pitch. Two minutes each, and they all the virtu- virtually all the VC said we're kind of agnostic. And then when you drill down, they're really not agnostic. Yep. Sector agnostic, exactly. Right? They have refined needs and wants. So it, it goes to the same yeah. as um, with that brand fitting in. If you can figure out what the investors are really looking for, then we can start to work with the startups to get them into the right spot, so they'll get investment. We're trying to make sure that we That's do that, right. and and I play a lot of. Um, herd mentality, but herd mentality only comes when you've got great companies and great founders. And those great founders can drive that business. You're going to have success. So there's lots of elements that I've learned, even through the interviews uh, of what people look for that really define and help make a business. And that's what we're trying to tackle is we want to be the best, most efficient, effective way for a startup to raise funds. But we also want to make it those same points on why an investor needs to come to our events to be able to invest in those companies. Well, they get to see it. And then, but I think there's a very, again, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of going on to your reverse pitch again. I think there's a very important niche there. If it's, if it's podcast or just awareness, getting drilling down so that, you know, you take governments as well, the programs that are out there for startups, they just, they, they, can they hunt, can they handle the, or absorb, you know, that uptake. And if the VCs are just, well, we only looking for these two things, then the, the startups won't waste their time if they have more awareness. So, I think it's it's a it's a catch twenty two for both, but if there's more VCs voicing that the reverse pitch, I think it's going to help okay. the startup community. One hundred percent in general. So let I wanted to go. There's something here that you know the VCs and if, if you heard the trend in kind of uh, there's this to invest in startups virtually, and one of them was a TechCrunch uh, podcast I was listening to, and they talked about a six hours Zoom no. call. I don't know if you heard of that. So. They literally will follow the, the 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 startup around if they're thinking of funding. So they're they're investing virtually because they're 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 having to do it through Zoom calls or whatever. But this was a kind of a unique thing. I don't know, you know, if uh, I'll, I'll have to find that podcast for you. But it's literally the six hour Zoom call and they follow around the founder during his or her day day to day routine. It's a bit, bit bizarre, I guess, maybe creepy on some yes. extent. <laughs> Yes. I want, one, I don't have six hours to follow someone around and maybe they can time lapse it. But two, I guess, do you really want to know what someone's doing? I, I want to know that you're being creative and that you're able to solve a problem. I think that people believe that if I meet with somebody, I can look in their eyes and I know that they're not going to fail me or that they're going to drive something out. Um, I think at the end of the day, those can yeah. all be possible. Uh, can you put a show on when you're on Zoom? Yeah, the best people always can. Uh, but I think you're, you're, you are investing sure. in that entrepreneur and you really do want to get as much information around that entrepreneur as you can. And maybe you do that from a coffee exactly. and having six coffees over a six-month period. Uh, but I think at the same time, a lot of it comes just from 
uh, diving in, learning. Maybe they need to do more interviews of people around them if they're that cautious. And we do, we do a lot of deep dive and try yeah. to find ways to uh, learn more about the founder and the, and the company. And a lot of the time, like anybody, like anything, you want to make sure you do your homework. And, and if that's following you around for six hours, maybe that does help solve some of that. I think it might be a little too intrusive, but if someone thinks that's the best way to win, then you got to do what you got to do, I guess. You know, the Silicon Valley one was good. If you did, if you ever watched that show with the Pied Piper, and they used to do. Did you, I, I only watched a few Silicon episodes, Valley? but I think it's one I'm going to have to dive into during the next shutdown. You know, because it's like they, you know, they basically would do the VC run and and that the dog and pony show, and if you don't say the right things, you're gone. But it just it speaks to a lot of, you know, that people like that in person and there's discomfort. But, it's, you know, your point, you can put your best best shoot shirt on or your best face on. But do you really get to know the, the, the company? Right. And I, to your point, I think the due diligence is all kinds of all around. What are the people looking at their social media profiles and all that? I mean, there's a lot more than just that. There is. And, and you got to no matter what, you, you got to do the homework. And, and that's the best way around it. Right. Yeah. Um, there was uh uh, a great or a good podcast and, and again i'm gonna it's gonna allude as a podcast there was an audiobook whatever it was but it talked about um anecdotal information here but it was trying to prove that you know sometimes you think you have uh been able to meet somebody look in their eyes and understand them the best they can still at the end yeah go against what you wanted and what you guys had agreed on and proven and they used the example of during world war ii with um, at the time, uh, I think it was one of the chancellors from the UK um, was going and visiting with Hitler. And he went three times and Hitler agreed and approved that he would never invade um, this area, if it was Poland or whatnot. And he, or Czech Republic. Yeah, and he looked in his eyes and he yeah. said, he will never do this. He told me he wouldn't. Then four days later, there was a massive bombing and he went and did it. And uh, it kind of went on to prove that no matter what, you know, some of these things aren't as easy as we think and that being able to look in their eyes and being able to make those assessments take a lot more work and assessment than we actually think. And I think it was actually through, um, uh, oh, oh my God, the uh, author, Canadian from uh, uh, Stratford. Oh my God, lives in New York City, super curly hair. Oh man, he's written like six books. He's an economist. Um Gladwell. I think it That's was part of Malcolm Gladwell's uh, podcast review. Yeah, big fan. Yeah, okay. so that was the the way. So yeah, you got to do your homework no matter what. But he's he's got he's Malcolm Gladwell's kind of a you know he's a forethinker and he's out there as well because he's he's putting a lot of thought into this and how people and the judgments we make. I think he's got a book called something on the 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 David and Goliath type of a phenomenon. So yeah, there's yeah there's something to be said to that, and I think. But you've said it, Jeffrey. You think back to the time you're just helping founders and getting them information, learning, meeting. You know, the a lot of founders are taken for granted that what they're doing is perfect. So they're, they're blinders on and they miss the world around them. They're laser focused on what they're doing. 100%. But that's also the reason why you want to invest in them. Like if I take 20 years ago working with startups to working with them today, yeah. the difference is, is that they're a lot more friendlier they are today than they were back then. And I mean, they're just more open. And that's the whole reason why we created Open People Network. We wanted people to be open about what they were trying to do so that they could get more collaboration and help. Uh, because we saw so many companies doing the same yeah. thing 
like 10 companies building the same platform. So we thought maybe there's a way you can tie these together, sure. but really there's no, not a lot of difference in 20 years ago to today. There's still hustling. They're still trying to make it work. They're still looking for mentors. They're still looking for money. You know, it's only improved by more noise. There's more stuff going around a startup now than there was back then, but there's also more attraction because big business yeah. has way more interest nowadays to work with startups to use their solutions as a way to benefit their business problems so that they can grow their business bigger and the startup can also grow. So there's been a lot more added to it, but really at the end of the day, there's no difference from the startup founder 20 years ago to is today. They are just growing and hustling and using everything they can to, bro to grow a business on a shooting budget. Yeah. But to your point about the branding, right? Because if 10 people are all the same, the differentiator is going to be who's who's a, I, I still believe I believe open is much more beneficial than this private closed network. And and Chris Dixon from Andreessen Horowitz, I listened to a podcast probably two years ago and he said it best. He could, and he was talking about SaaS products. And this speaks to you. You've got that understanding from your history. But he says closed private networks. Nobody knows about you when you release when people release a six after six months and nobody knows about it. It's going Nobody's going to touch it. And he said so. These open networks were uh, good governance, a good place to be. And, you know, you just and you you're going to get people coming to you like a restaurant, you know, a, fa a famous or fancy restaurant versus this closed private club. So I open network to me really is appealing. It makes a lot of sense. Well, we hope so, of, too. Well, I guess we'll time will only tell. Right. Sure. So let, let's talk about some you the data and the metrics. I mean, you've mentioned it briefly, but. I mean, you've got number of founders, participants, number of hours, the number of funded. The data must be just compelling over five years. Yeah, it's uh, well, we've uh, we've been working to build in more systems so that we can monitor everywhere that we're passing messages through and who's picking them up, who's sharing them, who's liking them. And uh, we're really trying to tie that story yeah. together ourselves a lot better. Uh, but over the years, we've uh, yeah we've had lots of companies that we've seen come through that have been funded uh, that we funded uh, that picked up and gone forward. Yeah. Um, some of them we're now actually tracing back to all the skip the line companies and following up with them to get more feedback on how their experiences were. So you know we've we've done everything to get to today, but we didn't plan on how do we regroup with everybody that we've been working with over these years and get more stories back and find out their successes and where they've come from. So now we're doing that and that's been actually really rewarding. We had a, a great, I have a great conversation this morning with a company that was, um, and you might remember this one, which was uh, tidal wave. Um, they're doing a lot of great things. Very exciting. They're a podcast show uh, doing a lot of um, uh, great interviews with uh uh, moms of uh, basketball superstars. So, yeah, they found some really unique ways okay. to get some really cool content. Um, and we've been regrouping again with a lot of the startups that we've been talking with uh, over the years that we've worked with. And uh, it's been phenomenal to see where they've gone and, and where they've come from. Well, it's like just back to my that podcast with Reid Hoffman about the back office. So Runway, the so founder Runway, so you could probably find that one. It's a, their most recent podcast. So she's, they're big, the Runways, the, you know, she's 80% of the people we hire are techie and data, you know, kind of data people. And the, not the, you know, not merchandisers. If you know the Runway story, it's the model where you can rent, uh, the rent Runway outfits. Um, but their biggest, their biggest back end business is yep. the dry cleaning. 
right? Getting so they they become experts in dry cleaning. So I, I have to listen. I have to finish that. But I imagine if you take some of your your past uh, investments or maybe the, uh, the OPN, you know, the early entrepreneurs, they've probably scaled and they're doing other things or they've branched off like your your early days before with Hardboot. You kind of just oh, 100%. stumbled on these things. You know, there's, there was one thing that I learned. This was when I first started my company, um, Hardboot. My uh, a friend of, of mine was getting married, <laughs> a good buddy of mine. And we, uh, I literally landed from yeah. my three months in Asia and landed and flew to the Dominican for a wedding. And I met an entrepreneur there and uh, he had been an entrepreneur for about 10 years and he owned, um, I think, five mailboxes, those um, stores that you, like a UPS and a uh, really good guy. And he, yeah, he shared yeah. with me like one thing that I took from that was that and I've lived with this. He goes, you will never know you're a business till you've been in business for five years. And I took that to heart because a lot of people have this speed of growth, speed of everything. Sometimes it takes time to realize yeah. what you're trying to build, where you're going and what you're doing. And for my first few years of building a company, I didn't even tell anybody I was a CEO. I just acted like a consultant and tried to slowly grow and learn and figure out where I wanted to be. And it was so true that when I hit that five-year mark, I kind of felt like I really was comfortable and I was in a space that I understood and I could do this again, but maybe make that five years into three years. So I think in time, you start right. to your first company, second company, and third company as you go, you'll start to find ways to get faster comfort and grow quicker, but by learning more about your audience, learning more about the funnel, learning all of these great things that are going to make your business successful – and doing it in the right way so that you're not always dependent on cash infusions or banks or whatever, uh, that you're going to be able to build it and become revenue and uh, profitable. And those things you learn over time. So your first, second, and third companies will only get better and your efficiencies will also improve. So um, it was great advice and, and I've lived by it every day. And I think it's uh, something to think about as a startup that when you start to build a company, that it's not about how fast you can grow your business. It's about how methodical, how crazy you can be about the market, learn everything you can so that, that way when you're pivoting and changing, it's yeah. not crazy losing your shirt over. It's doing it because you're following where the clients are going with the money that's going to pay you to grow your business. That's incredible. And it's almost like the word sage advice, but it's, it's literally just listening to you. You, 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 you build up from that. I, I go back to your warehouse or that, that room or whatever it was you want to call you know, and it's that that the early starts, the serendipity of it all led to the next, you know, the value added, which is what, you know, that's your money part, but the learn and meet. And it's a cycle. It keeps cycling through because now you, you know, you're from I can hear it. You're just passing that on to founders or startups or entrepreneurs, even VCs that you meet. I'm sure you have that hallway conversation or the, the Zoom, the Zoom <laughs> well, offline. No, it's yeah. a good analysis. And yeah, 100%. We're, we're trying. And uh you know, everybody's going to learn a different way. Everybody's going to bring information out and, and want to share things differently. And we just try our best to understand what people are trying to do and then share this anecdotal information that we've learned along the journey and, and hopefully helps benefit somebody else and theirs. Yeah. So let's, let's two quick things then. So the pre the pre COVID most of your meetups were in person. Is that right? Or how yeah, we originally started with everything being uh, face to face. Uh, we wanted to build that 
um, yeah. I guess, face-to-face reality. And it worked out quite well. We had a lot of events. We provided a lot of great venues. Uh, we worked, we even did stuff inside other venues for businesses and functions inside of uh, conferences. So really, really uh, a lot of fun. Right, it was great right. to meet a lot of people. Um, and then as COVID kind of came on, uh, it was literally the city shut down, I think the day of or the day before um, our last event, which was supposed to be Pitch It TO or Pitch It TO uh, City Hall. Uh, we did skip the line three days earlier. Yeah. And then the world shut down, I think two days, the day of or the day before we shut it down. And uh, we've, if you say we've pivoted, at the time we tested running online as well for about two years. We recorded everything live. And what we found was oh, that okay. when we ran it live, we only had maybe four or five people, maybe I think with the most we had was 20 people join uh, our, one of our events that was live. But the events were like four or five hours long. Yeah. So we couldn't edit anything. So the, it was all dependent on the camera guy. So we, we shut that all down. And then yeah. a year later, COVID hit. And what we found from COVID is that, uh, as you mentioned we came up with a lot of different programs that were able to continue feeding content and information into the hands of entrepreneurs, which is the founders funding couch to um, our skip the line events. And we formed everything around skip the line now. So skip the line is the pro- uh, primary event and all the smaller events are feeders into that with the same companies. So we built a program. It's clean. It's easy. And yeah. uh, now we're not worried about, do we need, hundreds of people at an event. What we're worried about is that we have hundreds of investors at our event and that we're showcasing and getting the startups that we've run through this program in front of those right investors. So our, our, our mind has shifted from being um, so much about having to get foot traffic to changing that to making sure that we have the right value add for our customers, which is the startups, that they not the right value that they're getting from our event. And that's yeah. focused on the investor. So now we've globalized it so they can get global investors. But the key is that we've gotten more investors in the room than we ever have, and that they've got more opportunities to generate investment. But there's the, the, I mean, there's the, 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 the beauty of, I guess, and I'll talk about your social media in, in, in a second, but that, that content is permanent and sent, you can send it for the BC who didn't get there. You can send it off to an associate or someone in Australia, maybe the time zone, you know, there's VCs across the globe, you know, and it's, that's the, the internet, the beauty of the internet and the VC world isn't so close in that sense. So I, I don't know if that's, you know, that gets you a lot of traction. If you have the after event, people saying, Oh, I didn't a hundred percent. Yeah. We send them out to VCs uh, all over the world that want to uh, look into the companies that we're working with. So that's worked out quite, quite well. Um, and just to talk about that social side of things, uh, the team is fantastic. And what, they, what they've done is when we first started um, OPN, we created some uh, content where uh, we did some videos that were to help startups think about focus and uh, longevity. And these videos were created way back, you know, three, four years yeah. ago. And we went to landmarks around the city and we did the filming of them. Uh, we just started to republish all of that content. And um, it's actually taking, getting a lot of, um, of eyeballs, if you will. But it's picking up on views because it's still relevant content. And we didn't do a very good job pushing it back then. 
So now we've yep. started to kind of plug that into uh, the storyline of the things that we're doing. And it's, again, it helps drive that attention back to the entrepreneur and back to uh, people looking for how do I guide myself through my first company and even second or third companies. They're still looking for that same handholding that they may not have got on the first one. So, you know, it's all help keep that voice moving and the brand alive and, and everybody um, seeing where we're coming from and the things that we're trying to do. Yeah, I mean, if you troll through some of your old content, they, they always talk about, Gary Vaynerchuk always talks about Jeff Bezos, if you could see those early, that early footage of him in his garage with the, whatever it is, the books, selling books online. But that early footage, you'd probably surprise yourself what you were saying, not in terms of, oh, I shouldn't have said that. Like, wow, I actually said that back then, 15, 20 years ago. I mean, if you had that video, I should <laughs> put up that video of you in that uh, with the storeroom. I don't have that, but... You know, yeah, it would be pretty crazy. Actually, one of the projects I did only because we're reminiscing here, one of the projects that was probably the most fun is we created uh, for Loblaws, we created a handheld, um, basically, a, I think it was a seven inch iPhone um, with IBM. Yeah, uh, we created this for store managers to be able to check email on the fly. And uh check email and make phone calls wow. so that they could be in front of customers more. But the problem was, is that this form factored uh, mini laptop, if you will, cost 10 grand. And uh, the project got axed when we went yeah. in for funding internally. They didn't see the value, but we created a little snazzy backpack sure. for it. And it was literally um, the size of your palm and you could do everything you wanted on it, but it got axed. So the innovation was there. We were building them back then, but, um, you know, the technology, te yeah, technology wasn't there because Palm Pilot was out. God, I remember because in two early 2000s, working as a partner, everyone had Blackberries in the UK, but in they had this Palm Pilot thing, it was like a and it always crashed. And all the partners at Deloitte, I was working with Deloitte, and all of them had yeah. these little the pen stylus, right? The stylus pens, I made it was some kind of I made thing, and it just, it, you know, it was. It was sexy, but it didn't. Hundred percent. Yeah, the innovation. You know, it's even when uh, I think it was Microsoft came out with the iPad before Microsoft, or so before iPad, Apple did. Uh, but Apple was able to find a way to market it and, and turn it into a massive product, yeah. right? So, uh, innovations there, and and sometimes it's not working. But the ones that can figure out how to get behind the product and promote it and push it, and like Apple did when Apple came out with uh, Apple Podcasts and all of these other products, the the um, your little mini audio player, those things broke down like crazy. Like literally we're going in the store yeah. with one every two weeks because the thing wouldn't work. But the thing was, is they were doing something so unique and new that you started to build up a little harem of, of techies that wanted this product. And then they decided to build around that. Right. So eventually it got better and better. And you know, they yeah. Oh, but they opened, right. The big thing to them, the open, see, go to your open network. They open up the de to developers, right? They open up to developers to create. That's where that, that's when, uh, you know, the, the next wave, 2007, 8, 9, 10, or 11, 12, I guess it was, when they just really opened up to other developers so they could build and allow you to play music. Yeah, exactly. It wasn't exactly. sourced out of, uh, out of the Apple store. Yeah. So, yeah, I think your open network, you know, I'm sorry, I'm biased because I just, you know, I've followed some of your, I've been on some of them, but I just think it's, the world needs openness because there's so much information available. 
it's really hard. I mean, I, you go paywalls and I, you get behind paywalls, but to your point about branding and social media, if people, and I think some of your startups, if they're not on social media, some of the platforms that are relevant to their, what they're doing, they're missing, they're missing out. Because 100% agree with that. Especially get, when you have investors that have Google at the fingertips, they're researching everything and they want to see that you come up. If I search for yeah. uh, blankets, that you're the number one blanket guy or you're the number one blanket lady that comes up because they want to see that you've got traction. And, and it's the same thing that you're pitching at events, that you're, you're being talked right. about. You know, we recommend with all the startups we work with, like, just get out there and talk about it. It's tough. Nobody wants to talk about themselves, but, and it is hard, but really at the end of the day, the ones that do it the most are the ones that get the most showtime. And you, you really got to push, um, if you know, you're going to pitch somewhere, let everybody know you're pitching. Who cares if no one likes it? It's not about that. It's about the fact that you've created a breadcrumb of action and actual items that you're doing and people get behind yeah. that. No, it's incredible. So, look, so I do want to get hats off to your, your social media team because you guys are everywhere and I see your content is very consistent, but also relevant to the platforms. Yeah, you've got a YouTube channel, which has got a lot of the history there. You're up on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. <laughs> uh, we're not on TikTok yet, but um, I'm not sure that it, I, I love TikTok a bit because of the, the way that it, it forms um, really good educational content. I think a lot of people are using it to really build a brand around yeah. um, interesting factual data. And I think that's really cool. Um, Instagram's more of kind of an offshoot of the Facebook lifestyle. But I, I think that uh, there might be a place for us soon in there. But I think overall, the rest of the platforms really do service uh, a lot of great value for where people are searching for content and how they're interacting with us. But uh, yeah. Social media guys are doing a phenomenal job keeping that moving. So, yeah. I mean, I can't, I can't think of exactly what you would do on TikTok, but I think of an ad that resonated with young entrepreneurs, the Gen Zs. You know, I listened to again another Andreessen Horowitz podcast, and I think it was Connie Chen, and she was with a, a, a Gen Zer who was big on, you know, big on uh, TikTok. She said, "Look, if." If you're so it's more for product speaking to product. If you don't know, uh, if you don't know how what the Gen Zers are saying and who we are, you're not relevant. So she's, but basically to the point of, and I think I cross posted you guys because some of your founders and even to you guys, they're they're founders that are they're in kind of that TikTok space. They're watching it, and as you said, it it is a big education. It's become the short form education. Um, so I don't know how you you piece that together, but getting attention. Hey, are you? Are you a, uh, yep. a Kool-Aid stand uh, entrepreneur? Are you selling newspapers? You know what I mean? Are you trying to hawk goods from the Oh, big time. Store? Yeah, and, it, and it's really just trying to find something that's uh, relevant enough that will hit that audience. And if it is the Gen Z, Gen Y that are really into that short form factor for learning, then something in there that they're going to learn something from. And, you know, a lot of it's, I find a lot yeah. of it's history-based or comedian comedy-based learnings. So find something that's an in-between of that and, and help it promote the brand and the business that you're running. Uh, I can see that being a benefit. It is a lot of work um, keeping up with all of the social platforms. But at the end of the day, yeah. when you know the key to all of this is that as those people grow into their jobs and into their roles, they're going to one day think of entrepreneurship or one day they're going to think they're going to buy a pair of shoes, whatever that might be. And, and you know those are the places where they're going to have been branded a year ago or two years ago. 
So you need to make sure that that content is relevant and it will come back up when they're looking for that new product. So all of these platforms bring some value in time and it's uh, invested time. It's it, it'll pay out in years to come. You know, I want to just, I want to hit on the last point I have here, entrepreneur first. And I don't know if you, the EF, um, they're part of, they're out in the UK and I think they started in 2011, but it's a tech focus startup. They help thunder, they help bring together entrepreneurs with entrepreneurs. And I think I, because there's the one guy who's on your okay. podcast, he came on twice on the skip the line or pitch the pitch it. And he's twice looking for a founder. And I think a lot of yours seem to be, a lot of those entrepreneurs I've seen, they're looking for founders. So the entrepreneur first matches tech founders with non-tech or tech, you know, and bringing the two together. I think they have a Toronto affiliate. I'll just send you something offline, but it's, I, I, I think they're, you are doing, you're in the entrepreneur space and they're in the entrepreneur space and Reed Hoffman happened to invest in them. And it was a podcast I listened to that, that introduced me to entrepreneur first. Yeah, I for sure. So I think that would be awesome. Yeah, I, I think some commonality a, anything that is focused around entrepreneurs, helping entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs focused on um, connecting in networks where they can learn from other people in the network. I, I can't see how that can't be beneficial, especially for first time founders. Yeah. You know, it, it gets exciting. It's, it's it's almost like when I was talking this morning um, on uh, in that one meeting where I was sharing about the podcast with uh, Tidal Wave. When when I was chatting with uh, with Kurt, yeah, and you're talking about synergies around your businesses, it was quite exciting because not just because you pitch and skip the line, but because he runs a podcast, we have a podcast, you have a podcast, you can start sharing anecdotal or cool things that you've done to get X and Y. And I had shared with them that I had borrowed information from the podcast that I've theirs because I listened to them. I, I think the podcast's great. And I took one of the things that he done and I said, I tell everybody that yeah. I borrow this when I'm in the podcast. I don't know why, but I share everybody that I took this from you guys. And it's not the same. I didn't take the whole thing. I took, <laughs> I took the idea of it and changed it into my own, but that's where I got it from. And I think that those little things are going to help entrepreneurs. It's, you know, it's, it's an open world. And if you can learn from somebody else and incorporate that into what you do, your success is going to be a lot much better because it was working for them. It's got to bring a little extra value for you too. You know, they call that, I listened to another podcast on, on TikTok and they call that riffing where you riff the other person's content and they literally they allow you to go, if you had a, there was a viral video, you can screenshot that, you can use a video, post whatever video or audio and riff it and, and use it for yourself. And you don't need to, you know, put the kudos, cross kudos, because I think, I think uh, TikTok does it, the algorithm does it for you. But I like what you're saying. It's like, it's, that's back to your openness again. You're, you're kind of learning from other people and applying it and you're giving, well, I guess in an open forum, you're giving yeah. it away. Hundred hey, percent. I'll give kudos to all of that because it's improved me. Broke. But I'm not going to say I originated it. I originated what I wanted from it. But they came up with a concept, and I thought, "Wow, this really helps me be a little bit more personal." So I'm going to do that in my interviews, and, and it made a big difference. I'm going to call my new podcast the OPP <laughs> the Open People Podcast. I, like I, I don't. I'm not going to say anything about Jeffrey. We well, yeah, we do. When we ask an angel is uh, interviews, one-on-one -on -one interviews with angels and VCs around the world. Uh, we've we've done uh, fifty of them so far, and uh, we're close to that number. And uh, this year, we'll probably, hopefully, do another uh, hundred or 
hopefully 100 or 200 of them. Uh, but they're just learning more about investors and what they're looking for. And they've been uh, um, a lot of fun. Honestly, I, I, I enjoy it a lot. Um, I really get to connect with people, which is something I've um, probably not been the most effective or efficient at over the years or decades or lifetime. But uh, this has really helped me trench that in. And that's where we're coming up with these different ideas to get people to uh, share some more anecdotal information about themselves, made it more fun. And uh, that's what I really enjoyed about it. So I put that into the learning yeah. and I, I think all people should be able to take a little bit of something from everybody um, and pass it through and everybody can take whatever they need from us that they can learn from. And if it helps them grow faster, awesome. Who can't be uh, upset about that? It's awesome. Well, I know I agree. You know, I, I can't even, we have to end it there because it's, it's awesome. <laughs> Literally. You done. You said you said a lot, and I I have so much to take away from this, Jeffrey. Thank you. Uh, you bet. Well, we're we're everywhere, so you can check us out on all social platforms. Uh, but the easiest way, I guess, is uh, OPN dot Ninja or OPN uh, Open People Network. Uh, oh, yeah. So the dot com uh, OPN was taken for the dot com, and dot uh, Ninja had just launched. Literally, I don't know at the same times so we went with it. Uh, our logo used to have it tied into it, but we uh, removed that and just kind of kept yeah. it as the the Ninja Warriors, if you will, always out there uh, uh, making things happen. But uh, yeah, so opn.ninja or our fund, you can download and, and watch our uh, online podcast and our show at uh, supportersfund.com. Um, and all the other information from YouTube and everything carries all the same uh, content videos. Uh, but those are the two main sites that we operate from, and you can send us messages through there or LinkedIn. I love it. JP, and again, Alan, thank, thank you, you so very much, much for I your time that. and, and for being a supporter, a big fan. Thank you very much for, for all of that. And uh, looking forward to collaborating in the future. And if there's anything we can help with, uh, you know, let us know when it's live and we'll help push it out for you as well. <laughs> Terrific. Thanks. Th I got a Jeffrey. I'm back to Jeffrey. You too. Anyway, thanks for that. Ciao. Thanks for your time today. And